0: Here at IMC, we believe half of financial literacy is about knowledge. Now, that other half, now that's lifestyle. It's the way you live. It's the way you move. So together, we are going to demystify this good old world of finance and wealth building through our intentional guests and dialogue. Make sure you subscribe, stay tuned, and of course, stay planted. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Planning Podcast. We are back for another in-studio session. Shout out to my brother, Justin Williams. Appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. I
1: appreciate the invite.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we have a really an exciting topic. We know the role real estate plays in everyone's lives. We know the role home ownership plays or really what it could potentially play as well. Um, we have a, an expert here. We, we always want to make sure we bring the factual information. Uh, but before we jump into the the info, Big Dog, tell us about yourself. What would, what would you want the folks to know?
1: Absolutely. So, again, I'm Justin Williams. I'm originally from a little itty-bitty place called Burnt Corn, Alabama. Which <laughs> hold on, hold
0: on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Burnt Corn, Alabama.
1: Correct. It's a real place. All right. <laughs> it's a real place. So, for anybody that's looking for it. It's down south, Alabama, about an hour south of Montgomery, about an hour north of Mobile. So if you've ever heard of the book To Kill a Mockingbird mm. or saw the movie Just Mercy, that happened in Monroeville, mm. which burnt corn is like a little community right outside of Monroeville. Wow. Okay. All right. So what brought you to Birmingham? UAB. So when I came to UAB in 2006 for college, I stayed after college. Right. and. I mean, I just love Birmingham so far, so I don't see any. I don't see myself going anywhere else unless opportunity presents itself. Right,
0: right. That's a bet. That's good, man. So, so, what what got
1: you into real estate? Yeah. So prior to getting into real estate, I was kind of in the nonprofit world, and I loved what I was doing. Right. Uh, but previously, I had always been in sales, and I just kind of had that itch again. Yeah. And everything that I was looking at, everything I was researching, all of the wealthy people had their hands in real estate. That's a fact. Yeah. So I was like, well, there's something, There has to be something here. Right. I mean, no point in reinventing the wheel. Right. So right. I went ahead and got into the business. Right. At that point, I was 26. Uh, no major responsibilities. Right. Like wasn't married, no kids, anything like that. So I was like, if I'm going to do it, now is the best time to go ahead and take that risk." Right.
0: Right. That's what's up. That That's, it's, um... You know, the process of purchasing a home, there's there's typically a good amount of, like, misinformation, right? And Absolutely. especially with the Internet these days, you got folks saying, man, all you got to do is, you know, step one through three, and you're going to have 15 properties, cash flow $500,000. You know, just, just right. these ridiculous um, uh, scenarios. Tell us, before we get into some of the technical components of, you know, purchasing a home and assessing real estate, residential, commercial, what has been your most memorable experience, right? Like there was a situation that was probably different or mm-hmm. may have been a number of challenges that you were able to fulfill that ultimate goal. What What has been a memorable experience?
1: So there have been several. Every <laughs> transaction presents its own set of challenges. Right. Uh, one recently mm. was, and, and this is like, can be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. But one recently was, uh, I had a high profile house. That was uh, for sale that we had listed. My seller passed away from COVID in the middle of us selling the home. Um, We had multiple contracts on this house. It took us a year and a half to sell this house. The house ends up going into the probate process. We had to get somebody to become the executor of his estate, execute this whole process. We had stuff come up missing at the house. We had people accused of vandalizing another's whoa. agent's vehicle at the house like whoa, whoa. all kind of crazy what? stuff like all of the <laughs> all the things that you never think that'll happen that are fairy tales all of this stuff happened at this house right right um, from a buyer's side i think one of the most fulfilling mm-hmm. transactions that i had was a single mom okay. she was selling a home mm-hmm. uh, in one area of time and she wanted to get her son closer to the rest of the family for support so we sold that first home she made a great profit on it. She was able to take that profit, move to the next home without putting any money down out of her pocket. Mm. We reduced her mortgage payment. She was right. closer to family, so right. less driving, uh, less car expenses. So she literally made a lateral move and was even in a better financial situation mm. by making that move. And it helped her, you know, just from a family aspect. Right. So. Every cha- every deal presents its own challenge, but oh. it also has its own rewards right. at the end of the day. Right.
0: So so that that's actually a good segue into some of the topics of conversation around renting versus owning, mm-hmm. right? And and you mentioned some of the flexibility that you had just being young, single, no dependents. So I was able to transition uh, uh, careers to an extent. Right. Um, and that that is typically some of the justification on why one should rent versus owning. Mm-hmm with your
1: experience being in the in the market what 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 are your thoughts on that yeah so i think everybody has a a time and a place yeah so i'm not the person that's just going to give you a blanket answer to say you should always own a house right okay you may not be at that point and that's okay you know that's Mm -hmm. okay we all have to have somewhere to live and it's okay if you're not at that point today of owning a home right Sometimes we have people that come to us and say, hey, I want to purchase. And the conversation is, is there's not a no, there's not a red light, but maybe we do need to rent for a certain period of time so we can increase a credit score or we can mm-hmm. increase a savings amount so we can, when it's time to make the purchase of the home, you're in the best position. We're not just throwing you out there right. and you're swimming with the sharks. We've actually put a plan together to help you actually get to the point of where you need to be to be in the best position possible when it is time for you to own that home and be able to maximize on all the benefits of homeownership. Right,
0: right. So that so this is, you. you I feel like you're in my notes. So this rolls right into some of the process, right? So before someone thinks about calling a Justin Williams, what would you say they should do before they pick up the phone?
1: Absolutely, so the very first thing I will say is, if you're thinking about buying a house, do not be afraid to actually call somebody and start getting some information and all of those things. The biggest misconception for most people is I have to be ready before I can talk to somebody. Yeah. And a part of what we do is helping you actually get ready. Like right. that's the professionalism of the business is helping you get ready to execute the plan that you want to put in place with home, you know, owning a home or whatever that may be, investment property, whatever that may be. Yeah. So I would say start thinking about where you want to live okay think about how much am I willing to spend on a monthly basis what's comfortable in my budget for me to be able to spend on a monthly basis those are your two most important things because those are two things that I can't tell you Isaac this is how much you need to buy, you know you need to buy or right. Isaac this is where you need to live I can give you some recommendations based on the things that you're telling me that you want. But home ownership and the whole aspect of that looks different for some people. Some people want to reduce their monthly expenses mm-hmm. by owning a home. Some people want to get closer to family right. by owning a home. Some people want to put their kids in a better school system yeah. by owning a home. So everybody's uh, plans or their goals are a little bit different. And by us having a conversation of what does your short-term goal look like? Why do you even want to buy a house? Right. All of those different things will determine how we start putting your plan together to help you get where you want. That's
0: perfect because there's there's a number of um, kind of prepackaged recommendations that people run across when it pertains to purchasing a home or the thoughts of renting, and it, and just as you mentioned, is 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 really based off of your personal situation. It's based off of your cash flow. It's based off of your workplace uh, uh, advancement. It's based right. off of what you what you see in regards of your future. Um, and then you can make a, a recommendation based off of that, but you can't use someone's situations to justify your own decisions and not think about the differences between the two. So that that's extremely important. And and, and I'm glad that you demystified the time in which they need a call, right? Usually is and, it, and it's like that within our industry. Isaac, I got to get everything together before right. I call you. <laughs> and it's like, no, we help you get it together, Correct. right? And... What we do throughout that process, and I'm pretty sure it's the same within your industry, is that you save them time,
1: right? Absolutely.
0: And and that allows them to be able to spend time with their family and things of that nature. And so, all right, so now we are interested in buying a house. We feel like that our credit may reflect something that is um, bankable, Mm -hmm. ultimately. And um, how does somebody know how much house to buy, like, is there a pre-qualification process? Talk more about, you know, sure. helping them under uh, identify that amount.
1: So credit score wise, we generally recommend people to be at at least six hundred and forty. Okay? okay. Can it be done at a lower credit score? Absolutely, it can be done at six hundred and twenty. It can even be done at five hundred and eighty. Okay. But like we said a little bit earlier, to make sure that you're in the best position possible, we generally recommend that you be at a six hundred and forty because mm-hmm. that opens up, especially as a first-time homebuyer. It opens up a lot of your no-down payment options, Right. maybe any grant funds that are available. All right. of those things start to open up after you get to 640 and above. Right. Okay? So we recommend that you bid a 640. And then from there, as we're having that cons- that conversation, and generally what we do is call like a buyer's consultation where we sit down and kind of analyze your needs and talk about your goals and okay. how long you want to live here, X, Y, Z. But from there, at that point, it lets me know, like, okay, well, this is where Isaac is. So now I can connect Isaac with XYZ lender mm. in order to be able to make sure that Isaac is taking advantage of the opportunities that are available to him. Right. right. So Isaac may say, hey, I want to buy a $500,000 house. Right. Well, you know, Isaac may not get the zero down <laughs> uh, the grant program right, for that. Right. Okay. Right. But Isaac may come and say, hey, I'm, I'm 22. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting started. I just got my first job. I want to purchase a home. I don't have a whole lot of money saved, but I do have good income coming in. Well, then at that point, now I can direct Isaac to my lender that may offer no down payment, Mm. some grant money towards closing costs. And we talk about how that process works. So that's how we go into the pre-qualification. And then from there, once you get into the pre-qualification with the lender, basically they're looking at credit score like we talked about, They're looking at some type of work experience. Yep. And then lastly, they're looking at what we call your debt to income ratio. Mm. That simply means how much money do you have coming in each month versus how much money are you spending on specific debts like credit card payments, student loan payments, car payments, and any other revolving or installment debts, not necessarily bills like water bill. Right light bill stuff like that
0: right. so you, you brought up a good point we, we actually have a good bit of our audience that um, are in college and so what what is typically a good time frame for them because one of the looks like one of the prerequisites or one of the documents they look at is work history mm-hmm. Right. how long you've been working so if someone is on the heels of graduation and they know that you know they they have a job already secured should they start working first and then look for a home or can they start that process knowing that they have income to speak to
1: so the benefit for college students is they actually will take your college experience your time in college as work experience wow okay. and as you're taking on your new job most lenders are just going to want to see your first 30 days worth of pay stubs mm. so if you've been on that job you already have an offer letter for the job They're going to say, well, hey, Isaac, go ahead and take off. You can start looking for a home. But before we can close, we do need to see 30 days worth of bank statement, excuse me, or check stubs just to verify the income that this offer letter is saying that you will be able to receive once you start working.
0: That's big. So, okay, college students, y'all heard it. You can really jump into this um, asset building activity, um, not having to have two years of work experience, six months of work experience. You could probably get into that. Probably 45 days after you graduate, based off of uh, all the other pieces. And so, and I'll, I'm gonna share a few quick points on credit. Um, so, for those that are listening, uh, there is an app called Self. We are not sponsored by Self. If someone knows someone over there, tell them to hit my line, because I've been recommending them a good bit. Uh, it's a really good tool. Uh, you're able to have your credit report to three different credit bureaus um, based off of a monthly savings that you establish. So, please t- check that out, Self Inc. Um, If you are currently renting and you have a good relationship with your landlord, uh, Rent Reporters is another platform that will, uh, we've seen clients, their credit go up 40 points over the course of a month to start building the type of profile that Justin is speaking to when we think about what is a um, not only a bankable but also a sustainable plan that someone can commit to when it pertains to them purchasing a home so this is this is really good really good hall of famer Dion sanders says if you look good you play good here at the planning podcast we believe that proper money management is important and we also know that being financially fit represents the way in which you live now just by listening to this podcast you are part of the movement and one of the most critical aspects of this is the way in which we spell planning. The A is replaced with the delta sign and those that are familiar with mathematics, delta represents change. A very consistent theme that we noticed that regardless of the objective, big or small, if you want any change to occur for the better, you're gonna have to start planning. Be sure to check out our merchandise at www dot stay com, s-t-a-y p-l-a-n-n-i-n-g we'll see you there all right so let's talk about it some folks call it a pandemic some folks calling it a bandemic so um how has the market well look unless you've been under a rock the how's the market been jumping Uh, (laughs) what have you seen just in regards of just the type of activity Um, Of course, some of the celebrations, but also, you know, I I was just talking with a a gentleman. He was like, yeah, we did we did well on our exit. We sold our house, but I can't find nowhere to live. Right. Right. And so what what's been the what's been your experience uh, throughout this pandemic?
1: Yeah. So when it first came into play, we had no clue what was going to happen. I think we were all really (laughs) thinking the opposite was going to happen. We were just really concerned, like, man, this going to slow everything down and we're all going to be just shut down for a while and nobody's going to be buying houses, but it did the complete opposite. Right. It just ignited <laughs> the market. <laughs> so people were stuck at home. I think people started to really focus on the things that are important, getting finances in order, uh, making their place of, you know, where they live more suitable yep. for being there every single day. And they started working from home as well. So they needed more space just overall. Right. So it really ignited the market. And from there, we started to see values increase like significantly. Yeah. Really, really fast. Oh, so we were seeing homes selling over list price. That was, that has been the norm since the pandemic started. Wow. Homes selling over list price has been the norm. Like The, the list price is almost like the starting price <laughs> at this point. Which is great for sellers, but it's a little scary for the buyers. Right, right. The benefit for the buyers has also been when the pandemic came into play, they really reduced the interest rate significantly as well. So that offset for the buyers, their ability to be able to purchase more home, but not actually have to spend more on a monthly basis because now most of your payment it's going strictly towards the principal, how much the house costs, right? Versus you paying a lot more in interest, right. Which makes your payment a little bit higher. That's
0: a, that's a really good point.
1: And, and for those
0: um, following the dropping in the interest rates, ultimately allows you to use the bank's money or someone's else's money for cheaper, right? Correct. And so, um, as Justin alluded to, is that all right, the low interest rate environment folks are saying, All right, well, I can I'll buy that house and, and put more on the monthly payment. Since more is going to go towards the principal versus, you know, the interest that I would normally accrue based off of the previous rates. So,
1: like, I can give you a a really quick example. Previous pandemic, a $200,000 house was probably about $1,200 a month. Okay. During the pandemic, since the rates come down, that same $200,000 house is probably a little bit closer to about $1,000 a month. (laughs) So... You know, that gives you if you could pay twelve hundred dollars a month, right. now you could probably buy a two hundred and twenty five thousand dollar house versus a two hundred thousand house. Right, right. Or if you wanted to stay at a thousand, now instead of me buying one eighty I probably can actually buy at two hundred. So right, right. that gives you an example of how those interest rate will really affect your ability to be able to purchase.
0: So let's let's go to the other side. Um so we spoke to the pandemic side. So those are those that were able to capitalize on the uh opportunities the low interest rate environment um and now let's let's go to the pandemic side is what's interesting i think i did an interview with wbrc some uh, during the midst of the pandemic and i talked about the parallel between the how the economy is reacting to the pandemic and how the stock market is reacting to the pandemic and if you just look at the stock market you'll say life's good over there you know i don't know what's going on you know and um but if you look at just the um, economy and the local economy, right, and, and the different ecosystems that exist within it, specifically those that may have had a downsize at their employer, right, and and unfortunately, the money that they would typically bring in for supporting their household utilities, rent, mortgage, is no longer there, mm-hmm. um, and there was a um, federal mandate, the eviction moratorium that was put in place to pro. it was really... Uh, um, done by the CDC to prevent anyone being evicted, to really decrease the, the spread of the virus, right? right? Because they would not be, um, they wouldn't have any shelter. But now we are on this phase of households or land- landlords not getting payments three months, six months, nine months, some even 18 months um, for, you know, a multitude of reasons and I got to speak to it. A majority is due to the lack of execution at the government level, the state um, and the local municipalities. This is all throughout the country. Less than 20 percent of the rental and utility assistance that was allocated by the federal government, less than 20 percent in 27 states uh, were allocated. Mm-hmm. So. Unfortunately, it was the paperwork that slowed down the process. It was, you know, all these archaic items went into a whole kind of area. But my question to you is, (laughs) what do you see on the other side of this eviction moratorium? Right. Because there is one end of the stick to where landlords, if they were able to hold the note and maintain the relationship with the bank and not necessarily go into a default, they could probably find new renters, things of that nature, and maintain the land. But you may have some landlords that this this was their cash flow, right? And that now they have to make an exit. So do you see the eviction moratorium kind of offsetting or how do you see it having an impact to the property available in regards of just the, we'll say Birmingham and then any thoughts you have on just macro?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the the eviction eviction moratorium and the foreclosure moratorium, uh, it was a really unique thing when they put it into place. Right. So... Ironically, I just read an article yesterday that they are extending even more forbearance to landlords of multifamily property that may have a government assisted loan like Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae. Right. You know, those are just government entities that back those loans. That's good. But basically, they've extended an additional uh, forbearance for those landlords who own properties so people can kind of stay in their homes or stay in their apartments or wherever they are. And the landlord can maintain the property, so that that's been something that's kind of helping a little bit long, you know, uh, longer to keep things in place. But what I think is going to happen long term, and even in the in the just the single family side of things, not just the multifamily side of things, but in the single family side of things, a lot of the banks forego, you know, they forwent those foreclosures mm-hmm. that probably normally would have come into play during this time period because of the foreclosure moratorium and we're seeing a lot of banks also work with the homeowners on either maybe tacking that onto the back of the loan yep or doing what we call a second mortgage so you pay off your first mortgage and then you may have this small amount that you had to put in forbearance during the pandemic that will be there so if you ever tried to sell your house you still have to pay that money off Mm. But you don't like you're not gonna lose your home. Right, so right. We're seeing banks work a lot more with homeowners. So I don't think that we're gonna see an influx of foreclosures like we did in 2008, but we will see some. Right. Some some of your private money that was lent out, mm-hmm. those moratoriums did not really, um, you know, that didn't abide to them. Yeah. So yeah. they were still able to kind of execute some foreclosures. So we're seeing a few foreclosures still come on the market in the multifamily space or in the single family space, but I don't think we're going to see just a debacle like we saw in the great recession.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I paint on both sides. Um, even with the landlords, like the frustration that they are going through on, hey, this person was approved for rental assistance, but I still haven't gotten that seven months in arrears yet. Right. And and I had mean,
1: that situation happen personally. Wow. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know the feeling.
0: Right. Right. And then, you know, I um, I have empathy for the, the resident or, or the uh, renter at the time. We, as you know, we have our financial right. navigator program. To re help those that's been impacted by COVID rent assistance, utility assistance, then there's diaper bank, you know, all all of that. Um, and you know, we've spoken to residents that said, Hey, I I got receipt that I've been approved. They just it's been too much late later and they have yet to send the money to the landlord. And so yeah. there's that part of um, really that intersection that is that could be very frustrating. So tell me we would love to get your thoughts on um <laughs> We, we i would love to get your thoughts on birmingham's real estate okay right so this is this is your stomping ground of course you have property in many locations um uh, but you are you're located here your home office is here in birmingham what do you think about the opportunities in birmingham and how has the real estate market evolved um over the last na- we'll say last three years
1: yeah so i got into the business in 2014 okay And since I've been in the business, and it's really ironic, I was having this conversation with someone yesterday, a lot of the homes and properties that we saw in like 2016, 2017, in certain places in like Birmingham proper, not necessarily in in some of the municipalities, but in Birmingham proper, those those properties were significantly less than what they are now. Give
0: me an example, number wise.
1: So... uh, so we, we saw a property the other day that was like listed for 85000 That property now is probably worth maybe half a million. <laughs> and this is a multifamily property. <laughs> this is a multifamily property. And, you know, multifamily works just slightly different. It goes by the cash flow of the building and all of those things. And at the time, the property was vacant and needed a little renovation. But imagine if you had bought that in 2017 mm-hmm. and... It's worth that now. Right. That's right. the beauty of real estate. Right. Right. It's right. not a lot of places that you can put money into and just let it grow exponentially like right. that. Right. Is I don't know a whole lot of places that you can that's, do that. That's
0: true. And in and, and, and Birmingham is is creating a, it has created um, fertile ground. Um, I think over the last decade, when you think about just the different pockets of Birmingham that's seen that type of increase. Right. Right. And, of course, the different companies and the innovation around technology, the growth of UAB, all those different macro factors that feed into tourism, um, that feed into the the increase in appetite of this location, mm-hmm. has now created fertile ground for locations, as you mentioned, that did not have that type of attention, did not have that uh, type of investment to... Really speak to some of the returns, um, and and so, uh, is there a particular area you ain't got to give all your jewelry now? You know, there's been a (laughs) lot of free jewelry you you've shared (laughs) thus far. Um, are there any particular areas of interest, or if if you know speaking to the audience, um, if you are looking to purchase a home, because I think one of the aspects of purchasing a home that you hear more, I don't want to say any the Grant Cardones and those they may speak to. Oh, you don't need to buy a home. You should just you know. Whatever. Um, are there any areas in which you see, um, you know, some type of sustainable increase in appreciation based off of location?
1: Yeah. So it's all gonna be based on your risk tolerance. Okay. There we go. Okay. Talk to me. So depending on how big of a risk you're willing to take, and when I say risk, I don't mean like putting your life at risk right. or anything <laughs> like that. You know. So I, I want to put this in context, but Let's say Birmingham proper, for instance. Okay. The areas that we're starting to see really make some turns would be like Inslee, Bush Boulevard, Bush Hills, Inslee, that area. We're also seeing significant growth in like a Norwood. Okay. So, like we were just talking about a second ago, three, four years ago, you probably could have gotten into Norwood for maybe 100000 or or somewhere around easy, there. Easy, easy. A 3-2 in Norwood <laughs> now is probably going to be... At a minimum 250 yeah yeah you know and, yeah. and you may be paying upwards three we saw a 2-2 in norwood sale for 305 <laughs> recently <laughs> like in the past month or two Yikes. so yeah i would say norwood would be an area if we're talking about birmingham proper uh east lake is turning significantly right really now. okay uh-huh. okay so so and is yeah. right on is it's on the cusp right now uab is investing a lot in the community and you have a lot of other community partners that are doing things over in that area. So if we're talking about internal city, places that probably hadn't already caught fire, but the, the smoke is brewing mm-hmm. and, and things mm-hmm. are starting to turn. Those are probably be some places internally. If you're looking for something more stable, like I just want to be in a really nice area and I don't want to be in a transitional neighborhood because in a transitional neighborhood, Everything is not always pretty. That's right. So that's that- why I said a little bit <laughs> earlier. It depends on how much risk you're willing to take. That's good. Everything is not always pretty, that's but right. you can see a significant financial benefit from that's that. Right. Okay? That's right. That's right. But if you want something a little bit more stable, then I would say, of course, your traditional places like a Hoover, Homewood, Vestavia, all mm. of those places, your property is probably going to appreciate on an average about four percent a year. Okay. So if you're just looking for just some good stable, steady growth. Those would be some places that I would say. And if you want to take advantage of the highest appreciation in some of those areas, a Mm fixer-upper or new construction generally will give you probably the greatest return because a fixer-upper, of course, is already below market value. New construction, if you get in a neighborhood at the beginning of the neighborhood, they generally increase those sales prices for the same exact home each quarter. So now your home Hmm. starts to become... More valuable as they continue to build in that neighborhood. So
0: again, I free jewelry. Make sure y'all pick them up. Put it in your pocket, back pocket, front. Share this. This is um, uh, really good information. I got two more questions, and and then we'll we'll close up. We have um different types of loans: conventional loan, FHA loan. What what's the difference between the types of loans that one could qualify for?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, you have some that are government-backed, conventional, USDA, FHA, excuse me, I'm sorry, I meant to say VA, FHA, USDA, those are like government-backed loans, so basically okay. the government just comes in and bags up those loans. Conventionals loans are not government-backed loans. Okay. So generally, VA, you have to be a veteran. You have right. to be somewhere in the military in order to qualify or something attached to the military. Uh, a lot of first-time home buyers may use FHA. Mm. FHA is really flexible. When we talked about the debt-to-income ratio a little bit earlier, FHA generally allows you to carry the most debt. Wow. Okay. Out of all the loans, hmm. okay. Uh, so generally, you know, in situations like that, you just have a three and a half percent down payment, but you can probably carry more debt and still qualify for a house with an FHA loan. USDA is just for rural areas. So mm. like out in the like out in the outskirts. Like where you from? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Or if you're in Birmingham, areas like Pleasant Grove is still considered really? a USDA because it's not like a overly developed place. That's a good point. Or if you're looking in Calera, that's a USDA yeah. territory. If you're looking in Pinson, Okay. If you're looking in McCullough, but the Tuscaloosa county side of McCullough, those areas if you're going north, you're kind of at Morris um, Mount Olive places like that. Mm. For conventional, conventional generally requires you to have a little bit stronger credit score. Okay. Uh, so, people look at conventional as kind of like the holy grail of loans. However, that's not always the case. Like, you can have a really strong FHA borrower. They just may have had a foreclosure in the last three years, okay? So. You know, they can't get a conventional loan unless they've been out of that foreclosure for seven years or they may have had a bankruptcy that they can go FHA. They have great credit. They have plenty of savings, all that type of stuff. But they just can't go conventional because conventional's rules are a little bit stricter than FHA. Generally, the biggest difference is conventional is a little bit more flexible on the condition of the home. So when you see people purchasing investment properties and fixer-uppers, Normally, they're using a conventional loan because they're a lot more flexible on the condition of the property. Okay. Those government loans, VA, FHA, USDA, the property is gonna have to be moving and ready before they will approve that that's, particular property. That's good. For to that know. type of loan. That's
0: good to know. That's good. To, yeah, because they said if we're gonna back this, we got to make sure you know Absolutely. it ain't gonna fall through in a month or so. Right. So what? What? I'm. This is. I'm very interested. I saw. Um. It was actually a colleague of mine that was in the process of purchasing a home and they said isaac we put in an offer and zillow ended up buying a home yeah now those that are familiar with uh just hey i want to start looking for a house zillow is typically a platform that pops up realtor.com you put Mm -hmm. in the property okay let me swipe through these different pictures they get an estimate tell you about the neighborhood just all the you know all the little information that's helpful right um but I want to say it's been over the past couple of years, they have slowly crept into different locations and markets on being the realtor as well. Right. Um, so what are your thoughts on just the role technology is playing when it pertains to real estate and um, and then as well, just an example like a
1: Zillow, you know,
0: pretty much coming in, you know, hey, that, hey that's mine. What are you right. doing? <laughs>
1: technology uh, has played a very interesting role and without trying to get too deep into this but technology has played a very interesting role in the real estate industry mm. it has made it very convenient for the consumer however the convenience also comes with them getting all of your data like technology is like it's a data war Yeah. so they know what Isaac likes they know what he likes to eat they know what he, where he likes to shop mm. They know what time he goes to sleep. Yeah. They know what time he goes to wait. You know, mm-hmm. go, goes to work mm-hmm. when he goes to the gym. Like they know everything about us with the technology and all of the data that they're calculating. Wow. Okay. So when I say all that, they know when Isaac get, is getting ready to sell his house. Mm-hmm. They know when Isaac is looking to purchase a home. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with them calculating all of these data points from there, they can go and buy a house. And then they can say, well, you know what? This is probably going to be the house that Isaac wants to buy. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and jump out here and get it. Mm. We'll spruce it up a little bit. We'll put a nice price tag on it. And we know Isaac is going to come back because we've been following Isaac every day mm. on all of the stuff that he's doing. So we know what he's finna to do next. Right. So that's been the very interesting part about technology. Has it been very beneficial? Absolutely. Because, you know, just with the pandemic we've seen a lot of people purchase homes sight unseen like they haven't physically stepped in the property but they've looked at it maybe through all of the different platforms that we're talking about technological wise they've done video calls of the home all of these things so now when they walk in they feel like they've been there because all of the technology has allowed them to be so close without physically having to be there Right, right but it also comes with the other side to it as well as far as them knowing every single thing about you and now they can go ahead and kind of make moves that are going to be beneficial for them based on what you are going to do
0: right right it, it's it's uh it's such an interesting dyma- dynamic as you mentioned the the some of the long-term impacts of convenience right like we make decisions off of convenience and so even the process of leveraging technology um and i think where the Technology is a great tool if leveraged the right way, but one of the aspects that they won't be able to see that you see real-time as you're with the client is their body language. Right. As soon as you walk in, you may say, yeah, I want to put in an offer. You walk in and you can tell that something ain't right. What's up? Tell me what's going on. What you thinking? You know, And that may be the difference between them buying their dream home or buying something that they uh, are remorseful about um, later on. All right. So our our premier question with all of our special guests. Um, So as you know, planning is uh, our mantra Uh and uh, the way we spell it in regards of just our merchandise and uh, what it represents to us is P-L. We replace the A and put a delta sign, that triangle. Uh, So those familiar with mathematics, delta represents change And so we feel like anything that is significant to you that you Mm -hmm. want to change, the foundation of all of that is through planning, right? Can you give us an example on uh, how planning yielded a positive result for you?
1: Yeah. So as I was growing my business, um, I kind of needed to scale a little bit. So when it was time to get an assistant, at the time I was like, oh, I don't really know if I'm... I know I'm ready and I need the person, but kind of am I financially ready to handle this? Am I Yeah. yeah. Am I mentally ready to <laughs> handle this, all of these things? And one of the things that my, my business coach and I did is we just kind of put a plan together.
0: Mm.
1: So we figured out, okay, well, this is how much that I feel like I can pay the person based on my financials and what I've done. This is how much I can pay mm-hmm. the person. Let's bring this person in part-time mm-hmm. initially, okay? As we continue to go through this process, there's something that we have that's called a 30-60-90. So the first 30 days, this is the plan with you and that person. This is what you want to see to happen during this time period is what's happening during that time period is it along the plan? Right. If it's still moving and progressing, you can move forward to the next 60 days. Right. During the next 60 days, this is what I'm expecting to see. Right. Based on what we put together. In the next 90 days, you know, this is what I'm expecting to see. And by the time that you get to the end of that 90th day, then you know, like, does this person fit for the role or do I need to go and kind of seek another person or whatever the case may be? And once you kind of look at it from that perspective and going through that plan, you realize you're really on the hook. You really only are on the hook for three months worth of expenses. Mm. If that person is not the right person, you're not on the hook for a year's worth of salary. Right, right. But if that person is the right person, well, they've come in and helped benefit your business. So now they've almost paid for themselves. Right, right. And now you can go ahead and continue to progress and move forward with this particular person to help you grow your business. So. That was one of the areas wow. that was really influential for me when it came to planning out. Yeah, how are we going to put this assistant in place, and what are the metrics right. that you all are going to kind of gauge in order to make sure that this is going to work for you both long term?
0: That's that's so good <clears throat> because you shared the long term game plan in regards of scaling your business, and then you dialed it down to short term metrics to make sure that that decision yielded the sequence the rhythm the the progress right like those those results that you see and i think oftentimes when those that put plans in place they know what they want to get done in the long term but they they fail to slow down long enough to think about what are the weekly wins that will trigger or give me the indication that we're going in the right direction um so i'll I'll just use this as an analogy you made sure that okay all right, we want to win the game, but I got to make sure the scoreboard's on right. for the first, you know, three quarters, right, or or, or whatnot. So, uh, well, this has been a, a major blessing. I know you, everyone's been able to enjoy this. As you can see, this is a very dapper brother as well. <laughs> you know, he going he gonna to show up.
1: If I'm sitting beside this guy, you know you got to bring it. Man, look, man, look. <laughs> hey, look, look, just logo, simple. Uh,
0: but this this has been good, bro. Appreciate you. Absolutely. As always. I appreciate the invite. And we we gotta do a part two. There's a lot more that we'll be able to further unpack. We didn't even get into the commercial industry. Um, we probably could talk a good bit about opportunity zones right. and, and and then as well. Um, looking at real estate as an investment, because there are those that look at real estate as a um, all right, I I want to make sure I have a home, right? Mm-hmm. But there are others that say, I got a home. <laughs> right, right, right want to generate some more cash flow right and so we could talk about some of the real estate investment strategies that you've been able to witness and um some some good tips for our audience so i appreciate you okay and then of course to our audience uh oh real quick how can they get a hold of you what's the best way to get in contact with you
1: yeah so on i'm on all social media platforms justin williams on facebook uh, Mr. Justin Time on Instagram, Justin Williams on LinkedIn. You can email me at justintime at kw.com. You can give me a call at 205-693-9440. So any of those ways, carry your pigeon, smoke signal, <laughs> any of those ways I'll be able to get your message. That's right. Give them a little, ooh
0: yo, <laughs> I at you, all yup.
1: All right, well, y'all
0: stay good. Hopefully this has been a good um, episode Be sure to share with a friend, especially if they're in Birmingham looking for a real estate agent. Um, subscribe, stay tuned, and of course, stay planned.